welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction this is talc module 10 number three triadic consultations skillful conversations with more than one person at a time James Thurber once remarked that one is a wanderer, two is company, three is a crowd and four is a party. And I think most clinicians are very aware that when there's more than one person in the room, it gets more difficult to consult. So let's think about the specific skills which are needed in triadic consultations. Firstly, the clinician must build a relationship with and listen to the contributions of more than one person, which can take up extra time and is more difficult. However, if you develop triadic skills, this will enable you to approach such situations with confidence. There are two key approaches for triadic consultations. The first is to apply all the usual skills of the consultation, ensuring that all parties present contribute to the different stages and tasks of the consultation, from effective beginnings through to closing and safety netting. Secondly, there are a set of specific triadic skills which will help such consultations to run smoothly. There's a brief note about working with interpreters in the resources section of the PDF that goes with this chapter. So let's think about the specific triadic skills which are needed. If you combine these with the use of core talc skills, The consultations are likely to be more satisfying for clinician and patient alike, which will enable smoother future care and preempt many difficulties. I'm going to talk about these issues. Establishing the identity, roles and relationships of those present. Dividing attention and speaking time between parties. Managing interruptions of one party by another. Building the relationship with both parties negotiating opportunities to speak to each party alone and negotiating the re-entry to a further triadic phase of the consultation after that, making a mutually agreed plan and maintaining a dialogue using chunking and checking. So let's think about establishing the identity, roles and relationships of those present. When a triadic consultation is anticipated, it helps to plan ahead. The seating in the room should be arranged in a triangular way so that everyone is equidistant. If the chairs for the patient and the accompanying person are in a row, the person at the end away from the clinician may find it difficult to enter the conversation. The clinician will also find it harder to maintain attention or eye contact with the person furthest away. Review the records before the consultation for any relevant information to hold in mind. Creating an initial rapport with all parties is crucial, including establishing the name and role of everyone present. The skills of rapport building, from TALC Module 1, Number 3, Why is Rapport Like Money?, can be addressed to each individual present. When there are children involved, it can sometimes be hard to be clear about who has brought them. Is this a parent, a grandparent, a carer or guardian? When establishing introductions and identities, begin by introducing yourself to the child 
asking for the name they like to be called by, and then you can ask them something like, who have you brought with you today, while gesturing to the accompanying adult. This often makes children smile or laugh, and that indeed makes things more relaxed. And it also means you find out the relationship correctly when they say, this is my brother, my mum, my foster carer, whatever. This avoids painful errors, for example, referring to a grandma who is in fact the parent. Furthermore, this simple approach sets the tone and sends a clear message that the child is expected to participate in the consultation and that the child is a focus of attention, not just the parent or accompanying person. In the chapter Talc 1.5, How is a consultation like a business meeting? The consultation is seen as a special kind of meeting, which therefore needs a chairperson and an agreed agenda. After introductions and establishment of initial rapport, the clinician should use their role as the chair of the meeting to outline how the consultation will be structured, emphasising that the clinician values everyone's contribution. This can be signalled at the start by saying something like, well, it's great to meet everyone today. I'd like to start by hearing from, usually the child or main patient goes first, about what we're going to talk about today. And then I would like to hear from you, the parent or accompanying person, to get all your thoughts as well. It's worth doing a little chunking and checking at this point to ensure that everyone is on the same page by asking, does that make sense? Is everyone okay with that? Building a rapport with those who are young or who have little experience of accessing health services may not be straightforward. Some adolescents can seem withdrawn or unengaged. Sometimes clinicians default to asking an open question about the purpose of the consultation, like, what would you like to talk about today? Such questions may work well with an adult, but younger or more inexperienced consultors may need more extensive rapport building before they can answer such an open question. Therefore, it's worth getting to know younger patients by asking them some closed questions about themselves, which you know they will be able to answer easily. This gets them used to talking to you, shows that you're friendly and interested in them, and helps them to feel comfortable expressing themselves later on. Depending on the age or evidence interests of the child or young person, examples of suitable questions could include, what school do you go to? What's your teacher's name? What's your favourite thing at school or your favourite music, favourite football team, food, weekend activity? Anything that you know they can answer easily. These easy, low-stakes questions do take up consulting time, yet this is a valuable investment in developing a productive relationship. This will usually save time overall, as the flow of information will be better once everyone feels comfortable and at ease. When rapport has been established, Questions can become more of the open directed type. What's it like at your school? Leading into an open question about the topic of the conversation. What have you come to talk to me about today? After allowing uninterrupted talk from the first person to speak, thank them and then explicitly summarise and say, now I would like to hear from the other person, changing the direction of your gaze. If a parent interrupts the child and says, oh, well, we've become of this, gently thank the parent and remind them that you do want to hear everything they have to say and that just now you're interested in hearing what the young person themselves has to say. 
A similar approach may be used if a person with hearing loss or other disability is interrupted by their accompanying person. Young children may prefer their parents to start off and they look at their parents and say, you start, or you tell the doctor. That is fine and the parent can be involved right at the start. However, it is still important to hear directly from the child wherever possible. Signal that by saying, OK, let's hear from your parent now. When they've told me everything, I want to hear from you too. Will that be OK with both of you? When it is explicit that people will take turns to talk, this helps to keep the concentration on track and builds trust from both parties as they can then feel confident that they will be heard. Having established the overt agenda, it is always worthwhile to check that everything has come out into the open with the usual questions. Was there something else you were planning to talk about today? See Talc 1.5 for details as to why this is so important. Only then is it appropriate to summarise and move on to the information gathering phase of the consultation, remembering to summarise both facts and feelings. So here's an example. So Rick has been poorly with a sore throat and cough. You've both been worried it might be pneumonia because his dan granddad was babysitting just before being rushed into hospital with pneumonia last week. Or, it sounds like the key issue is that you're losing weight, Mr M, which you think is because of eating less in this hot weather. But you, and you look at his daughter, have been worried about cancer because this is how your mother's cancer started. Dividing attention and speaking time between the parties is very important. Getting a triatic consultation off to an effective start, as above, means that the clinician has already signalled that the contributions of all parties are welcome. After summarising at the end of the agenda setting stage of the conversation, it's worthwhile for the clinician to state explicitly how people will contribute to the information gathering. Setting out the idea of taking turns to contribute explicitly makes things run more smoothly and uses time effectively. Say something along the lines of, may I start by asking M to tell me all about whatever the issue is, then I'd like to hear all about it from P's point of view. If it seems very likely that the parties will need to be seen alone, a brief comment along the lines of, and then later I'd like to speak to both of you alone so that I can get the full picture. Then invite the first person to begin. It can be helpful to use very clear language to indicate that the clinician is keen to understand the issues fully. Avoid words like little or chat or other belittling words. Compare these two statements. Can I get a bit of information from you first, Rick, and then can I have a bit of a chat with your mother? This approach could sound perfunctory or offhand or even uninterested. Compare this, which takes the same amount of time. Rick, I'd like you to tell me everything about the problem first, and then I'd like to hear all about things from your point of view, um, please. That's from your mother. Does that sound okay? With adults, use a similar structure as in any information gathering scenario, beginning with a statement such as tell me all about, or a very open question. Then proceed to open directed questions. For example, tell me more about the impact on your breathing, followed if necessary by any specific closed questions needed to fill in specific details. For example, have you ever coughed up any blood? 
Picking up clues and cues continues as in any consultation using the skills of Talc Module 3. In triadic situations, it's vital to understand the perspectives of both parties involved by exploring their thoughts, concerns, worries and hopes for the outcome of the consultation. Younger, unexperienced people are less familiar with the conventions of the consultation and their thoughts or concerns about the problem may be less articulate, at least initially. Using the relationship building skills of Talc Module 2 and the facilitating responses of Talc Module 3, for example, go on, tell me a bit more about, will often enable better information flow. Dividing attention between the parties will continue throughout the conversation with suitable transitional phases, such as, thank you for telling me all about the pain you've been having, John. It sounds like that's been bothering you a lot. Can I talk to your mother now? Mrs Smith, can you tell me all about this pain from what you've noticed yourself? Sometimes managing interruptions of one party by another becomes a crucial skill. The person speaking is sometimes interrupted or corrected by the other party, who sometimes even tries to answer a question on behalf of the other person. Very gently thank the interrupting person for their contribution and remind them that you want to hear from them in a moment, just right now you're focusing on what the other person has to say. Parents tend to interrupt their children in clinical settings, although it's not always helpful. Managing interruptions can be especially important in triadic consultations with older or confused patients. When trying to assess memory, for example, carers sometimes answer the questions on behalf of the person who they think will not know the answer. Highlight that the interrupting person will have, or has already had, an opportunity to speak and comment that the clinician will absorb information better and fully understand how someone is feeling and coping if the individual can talk without interruptions. Building the relationship with both parties is also crucial. Internal summaries need to include the facts and also the feelings and responses of both parties and this will build the relationship significantly. So here's an example. Mrs Smith, overall you've been very breathless and your daughter notices you struggling to walk now. To her daughter, you're worried about whether the medication is working properly, but Mrs Smith is actually more concerned to have fewer tablets to take. Have I got that right? Remember to continue making empathic and accurate comments matching and mirroring your tone of voice and posture in a calming and supportive way. Be explicit about any difficulties without attempting to take sides. So for example, saying something like, you two really do not see eye to eye on this problem. It is not always the clinician's role to mediate or resolve issues between people, especially if they lie outside of the clinical framework. Encouraging a dialogue is usually helpful. There's a skill here which can be helpful, which I call Otto Otto, and this stands for on the one hand, on the other hand. And an example might be something like this. On the one hand, Peter, you're keen to leave school and apply for that apprenticeship. On the other hand, your mother wants you to stay and do some A-levels first, and this is causing a lot of rows. This doesn't mean you're going to mediate or solve the problem, but sets out the disagreement clearly for others to understand. 
Doing this in a non-judgmental fashion can be followed by a pause. Often one party will shift a bit or by handing the issue back to the parties to deal with. So this is something for you to work out between you. Or when relevant, saying, which aspect were you hoping that I would be able to help with in this situation? It can be important to negotiate opportunities to speak to each party alone. Seeing both parties alone, even if only briefly, can be a richly rewarding element of triadic consultations and almost always yields information that will be useful in the explanation and planning of personalised care. Many insights might only be shared when people are seen alone. It can be very helpful to understand, for example, what a young person actually thinks about their predicament, because their thoughts are not always shared with a parent. Clinically vital information may only emerge after separation. For example, spouses or children of older parents often reveal important worries that their relatives may avoid mentioning. Sometimes a patient may minimise the impact of something that their carer, spouse or friend is very keen to emphasise. It is always essential to create an opportunity to see pregnant women or women with gynaecological problems alone during the consultation, perhaps using the examination for an excuse. This makes it possible to check for the possibility of domestic abuse or coercive control because a potential abuser is no longer in the room. See TALC module 10 number 2, Skills for Asking About Domestic Abuse, for more details on this. Sometimes clinicians hesitate to separate parties, perhaps a parent and child, because they fear this may be misinterpreted or seen as creating discord. However, this is very rarely the case. So how is the important task of separating the parties achieved? Signalling this early in the consultation as above and signalling again that separation is coming up usually makes this process run smoothly. I would like to hear all about the situation from both of you and then before we decide on a plan, we usually like to talk with each of you alone for a short time. Then without discussing it further, proceed to the first question. The seed is sown early on this way. After gathering information from both parties, it can be useful to say something like, I mentioned I would want to speak to both of you alone. Before I ask you to separate briefly, may I just ask a final question about... Such transitional statements help everyone to understand the structure and flow of the consultation and to keep things on track and to time. See TALP module 7 for more information about this. It then becomes much easier to say... As I mentioned before, I'd like to see you both separately for a short time. Mrs Smith, may I ask you to step out to the waiting room for a moment? I'll come and get you soon. If this idea has been signalled in transitional statements, as I've said before, the separation is likely to go quite smoothly. After the one-to-one discussion, swap over so that both parties get an opportunity for a one-to-one with you. The clinician should ensure that there is a suitable, secure place for the exiting party to sit and wait. The clinician should also attend carefully to the position of the computer screen to ensure that information about the patient cannot be seen by a third party without their explicit permission. Ask the relevant questions of the party that remains, especially regarding their own perspective, specific fears, concerns or hopes for what might happen next. It's helpful for clinicians to practice separating the parties in consultations that seem to be easy or of low complexity. 
because it's much easier to do it in those circumstances. When you've had some practice in doing this task, it makes it run more smoothly in less straightforward situations. For example, a clinician may receive some clues that the parties may have very different perspectives that they don't wish to share with the accompanying person. Seeing the accompanying person alone may also yield insights that enable more sensitive explanations and planning. For example, people with elderly relatives often have concerns that they are reluctant to share with the patient initially, for example, about possible dementia or concerns about alcohol use. Parents may have had difficult conversations with adolescents that make them reluctant to express all their concerns openly until they've had the opportunity to explore those worries with the clinician. After seeing both parties separately, it's necessary to negotiate what happens when they come together. What information disclosed privately is to be shared with all parties. This issue needs to be discussed explicitly when the person is alone with the clinician. How much of this information are you comfortable sharing with X? After discussing this, it may be helpful to ask them to summarise the private discussion when the other party returns, saying something like, well, now we're all back together. John, will you explain to your father what we discussed so we can move on to making a plan? This empowers the person to reveal or conceal information as they prefer. The clinician avoids mentioning things that their patient would prefer not to share. Both people can be invited to share their thoughts in this way. Negotiating explicitly builds trust and enhances clinician-patient relationships. This often enables better care planning. Sometimes in private, an adolescent may need to be encouraged to consider how they will share important information, for example about pregnancy or problems at school. At follow-up appointments, it often emerges that although concerns were not disclosed during the consultation, those issues did get discussed at home later, often to a good effect. It's then necessary to make a mutually agreed plan, maintaining a dialogue using chunking and checking. Explaining the clinician's thoughts and developing a plan of action that works for all parties requires triadic skills to be used in combination with the usual skills of explanation and planning personalised care, which are discussed in TALC modules 4 and 5. The clinician needs to address the information needs and expectations of both parties while continuing to divide attention explicitly between them and organising the taking of turns to speak. The skills of chunking information and then checking the responses of the patient are very crucial in triadic situations where care plans need to be understood by everyone and mutually agreeable. The clinician continues to act a bit like the chair of a meeting. Linking any proposals to the expressed thoughts of both parties is very helpful in reaching a shared plan, for example. So I'm suggesting Bob comes to the asthma clinic after school next week. It will be okay for him to come alone, as I know you work in the afternoons, Mrs X. Meanwhile, you will help Bob to remember the regular inhalers every morning and evening. What questions have each of you got about that plan now? When reaching the closing and safety netting stages of the consultation, it is essential to continue to maintain a dialogue with both parties by saying something like, I would like to ask you both about what questions remain. May I start with you? What questions have you got at this stage? 
and then turning to the other party to invite questions from them. This meticulous approach may seem to be time consuming and indeed most triadic consultations do take longer as there are in effect two consultations happening in parallel. That highlights the value of the time spent checking that both parties are happy, that they understand the plan and any safety netting thoughts. The time spent is an investment in the success of your mutually agreed plan and in building a good relationship with both people. This actually generally saves time in the longer run. The trust developed is highly relevant during follow-up, especially if there were any conflicts or difficulties to be resolved during the initial consultation. In summary, triadic consultations use all the core talc skills, combined with careful sharing of attention between parties, skills for managing separation of the parties and then rejoining the consultation, maintaining dialogue with both parties throughout, and having the skills to manage interruptions. This combination of skills enables the clinician to approach the challenge of a triadic consultation with confidence. Many triadic situations relate to the extremes of age, and there is a summary of useful approaches in reference one, which also covers helping those with sensory difficulties, confusion, or multiple problems. Look for chapter eight. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.